Hey, Dan, what do you know about fintech? You know, Nick, not much, really. But you know who knows fintech? John Reynolds. John Reynolds knows fintech. Hello and welcome to the Tech EU Fintech Podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host. This week we are talking about uh, one of the hottest subjects in finance at the moment, AI and more specifically generative AI and how the fintech and crypto industry can benefit from it or whether it's all been overhyped and it's going to turn out to be a, a damp squib. So we've got two fantastic guests. We've got Alexander Musa Vizadea. Uh, an economist who is also CEO of Evident, which has done some uh, benchmarking work on on banks' readiness to uh, adopt AI, and Christian Trummer, who is the co-founder and CTO of the crypto company uh, Bitpanda. So um, very quickly, Alexander, just give us a 20-second overview of your CV today, please. Oh, thank you for having me, John. Um, Great to be here. Yeah, I'm an economist, actually, um did mathematics and some game theory as well. Spent um, most of my career building indices uh, in the finance world at Moody's and Morgan Stanley. But um, for over half a decade, been spending a lot of time on the question around how you measure the AI ecosystems. First was a global AI index that we released back in 18, looking at the strength of national AI ecosystems around the world, measuring 70 countries on AI development deployment. And in January, we launched, um, uh, we set up Evident in June, and in January, we launched the first public benchmark on AI adoption for banks and looking at the largest 23 banks in North America and Europe, looking at the capabilities and AI readiness of of these banks. But we're also going to be broadening out um, further into the financial services, into fintechs and insurance and um and, and more uh, going forward. But we started with the largest banks to to really get an assessment of where they are and put them on a benchmark so we can compare their capabilities to one another. I think you went slightly over the 20 seconds, but that was very, very, uh, very articulate. <laughs> Thanks very much. And Christian, just a, uh, an overview of your, your CV today to, to date. Yeah, sure. Also, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm my whole professional life. I'm in software engineering. I had some other uh, smaller startups which failed, but now since nine years with Bitbundle, basically uh, trying to build a product based on technology all the time. And um, yeah, with Bitbundle, we um, built an investment platform, European investment platform, where you can easily buy and sell assets and uh, also do some other um, services like staking and savings plan, for example. And now lately, um, we see what we can do with the latest innovation on AI uh, to integrate uh, features for our customers. Okay, that is fantastic. So um, let's start with you, Alexandra, because we've spoken about uh, AI and generative AI before. So just for clarity, by generative AI, I'm talking about AI that, for example, can create uh, text and, and images from simple prompts. Now, as you say, you've done a lot of research in this area. And when we spoke, my conclusion from our conversation was you were saying there's an, an enormous amount of hype in finance because of a potential uh, value creation from generative AI. But there are a couple of major red flags. Is that fair to say? And can you talk about in more detail about those what those red flags are? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's, a, you know, I mean, we we know there's a lot of hype, and then the question is sort of a hype versus reality. And my view is that the hype is probably 
accurate, but in the long term, not the short term, because it's much harder to implement. And we talk, you, you mentioned red flags. I think the red flags are around the perception that it's just a plug and play. And it is not. It is very difficult to, uh, well, it's not difficult, but it's a, it's a long process of identifying the use cases and working out where the generative AI tools, the large language model tools, will be appropriate and applicable. And once even that that has been, and that's what a lot of the banks and uh, fintechs are spending a lot of time doing now is identifying where it can be used and testing, spending a lot of time on testing. It all comes down to really how good your content management is and how well your data is labeled and how and tagged to run it on these uh, internal data sets. And, and that's that, in a way, it's going back to basics, it's going back to data because the large language models are difficult to run on internal data if the internal data isn't up to scratch because otherwise it's going to, it's going to throw out, um, you know, results that are inaccurate and, and then therefore cannot be relied on that heavily. But it, it, it certainly is moving fast. Um, banks are definitely doubling down on on getting this data to a place where it can be used. And as you said, you know, generative AI tools are different from other AI tools. Generative AI are really good at synthesizing data and being quite creative and coming up with, um, you know, PowerPoint decks or information that's synthesized for financial advisors in the wealth management teams and eventually could be used in chatbot functions and so on. But b- before you can actually do that and rely on it, there's a lot of work to be done. So, so it's going to happen, but it's just going to take a, take a bit longer than I think the sort of perception is out there. Okay, just, yeah, there's lots in there. So you talked about the large uh, learning models. So these are the foundations that the likes of chat GBT are built upon. And I think you're saying that they're largely inaccurate, which is going to be a big problem in the world of finance, isn't it? Well, it's not that it, it is, you know, sometimes it can be, it depends on the data that's underlying it, but there isn't, there is a high error factor still. I mean, some would say it's sort of 60, 70% accurate, but it depends on the underlying data that you're using it on. And if there's a human in the loop and you say you get to sort of 70 or 80% accuracy and and someone can oversee it and, and it, it definitely augments and takes, makes the analyst, for example, as an example, more efficient because a lot of the, the drudge work has been done and it, and it shaves off some hours and then maybe it's just, you know, a question of finessing it. But before uh, being able to rely on it as a sort of a binary decision maker, there's a long way to go. So the inaccuracies are, are when you're not relying on a, on a binary decision is, is okay because it still helps um, make a financial advisor, as an example, more efficient. Um, but it's not at a place yet where you can remove the human in the loop. That said, on coding, it's become it's it's used and it's been it's been very useful for you know going back and and you know doing some of the drudge work on the coding uh, on the coding side. So the sort of areas where it's you know it's it's seeing more uptake than others, um, but where banks are definitely using it a lot in the wealth management side and on financial advisors, I, th- I still think there's a ways to go. And just on that, are you surprised? I know a few uh, banks and financial institutions have made public about their use of AI-powered chatbots, but perhaps not as many. I think Morgan Stanley is one. But then there are a few cases like uh, JP Morgan and companies like Amazon and Samsung who have restricted and banned staff from using ChatGBT amid concerns about uh, kind of data being leaked. I mean, well, I mean, is that? I guess that's a, a big issue. And secondly, are you surprised that? more banks, fintechs, and crypto companies have not made public about what they're doing with AI-powered chatbots? 
Yeah, I mean, there are two questions in that. One is the banning of using ChatGPT by most of the banks, actually, um, that individuals would use their company email and or company information and 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 use chat gpt on it that was banned simply just um to make sure that none you know no privacy breaches were happening and and data wasn't leaking that said the banks are you know on the inside really you know spending a lot of time testing uh chat GP or large language models on internal data so it's not that they're not doing it they just wanted to make sure that it's done in a safe way so that i think that's that sort of why you've seen those bans just to, you know, to, to ensure that, that everyone's data is safe. The reason why, why banks are not, uh, you know, lot, there's a lot of awareness, obviously, this is um, the release of, gen, of chat GPT has put AI at the top of mind of every CEO in every sector, particularly in banks, and is in the board pack um, of every bank board. You know, what? what is the investment? Where is it going into? What are the use cases? What are the value of the use cases? What is it going to cost us? What is the return on investment? And um, there's a lot of time that is being spent on that right now. The reason why it's probably not being discussed uh, in open yet is because it's still in a testing phase. I imagine that in the next six months, we're going to see more banks coming out and saying, look, we're using it here and it's been really successful and shareholders will want to know what the efficiency gains are and the revenue uptake from customer satisfaction and so on. But we're still, it's very early days. Um, you know, we're six months away from probably seeing the first announcements and some banks are maybe two to three years away from actually um, being able to reap the benefit of generative AI tools. Okay. Uh, well, okay, let's bring Christian. So, I think in May this year, Bitpanda, you made a statement uh, public saying you, you, you're making a whopping ten million pound dollar investment in setting up a, a dedicated AI division. Can you, I mean, can you talk about that and what type of um, AI are you using at the moment, and how will this change following uh, this this big investment? Yeah, sure. So basically, this uh, this message was there that we really say, okay, we want to double down um, on on AI because I mean AI and or also machine learning is there for a very long time, uh, but now it becomes more and more accessible, and uh, at the same time, it's also um, like Alexandra already said, it's very hard to really get some trustworthy and reliable results from the models we have uh, right now because, especially in the financial world. You don't want to have a lot of uh, a high error rate when you talk with your customers, or and you don't want to present the wrong information uh, because uh, one time is already too much, um, and then it's not trustworthy anymore. So we really want to double down and invest uh, to internally testing because um, before we release something, we want to be sure what we release, and also for our software engineers, it's a it's a new world for everybody because. Um, Usually in software engineering, you have one or zero, basically. So you have, uh, especially in QA, you can you can test, you write unit tests. But as soon as you uh, start to integrate LLMs, for example, uh, the output is not always as reliable as you would like to have it. And this is uh, where we need to be very careful, basically. Uh, yeah, and in terms of how we use AI right now in the company, or I think especially the fintechs and uh, the industry, we use it for many years already, basically just um, good old machine learning for fraud detection uh, whenever it comes to uh, duplicate accounts or transaction history, uh, account takeover. All of this is there already for many years uh, and also, yeah, 
reliable and um, well-known in the industry, I would say. Okay, that's fantastic. I think in the statement, you talked about how the investment was going to revolutionize wealth creation. And you talked about the, uh, I think the first product is to be a conversa- a fully conversational AI application that will function as a, a personalized wealth manager. I mean, how will that, how will that differ from what you, what you offer now? I mean, how revolutionary is that? Yeah, basically, that's just a starting point. So uh, I think we will see a lot of different stuff coming up um, and in, we are in the experimentation phase. Um, but what is the most obvious thing is basically that you can uh, give the service, which are usually for wealthy private uh, banking clients to have a, have a um, wealth advisor with background information and with uh, messages directly tailored to your needs. To our customers, especially with LLM, that's easy because you can, um, uh, yeah, have a natural language as a result, and you can really uh, tailor down the the messaging to the needs of the customer. It depends if the is the customer first time investor or is the customer somebody who already did two hundred trades on our platform for over the last years. Then you can. Um, give different results to the uh, different results to the different users, and that's uh, what we think would be very beneficial for our customers. Okay, and with these with these products that you do launch, I mean, amid because there's so much, uh, there's a lot of concern about the the power and how it can be harnessed uh, generative AI. Will customers still insist on some kind of human intervention or some kind of human touch to these products or will they happy for the all to be fully ai kind of uh, generated i would say that depends so it depends from customer to customer because also this is one of the big challenges ahead because um as a internet user you are um used to your interface you're used to pop buttons and especially in the financial sector you are used to have the numbers directly in front of your screen and at the same time, you don't want to make this experience worse just by adding a lot of conversation around that, where you maybe don't show the, the right numbers or the in a visual representation. Um, uh, but also some people maybe uh, feel much more comfortable to have something in a written form, in a natural text, in a, in a, in a human readable way, basically, instead of some numbers in a table and some buttons. Okay, uh, that's fantastic. And I guess I mean there was a report in one of the papers in the UK this week, which I think I saw Alexandra gave a, a comment on, which saying that financial institutions across the UK are in a race to sign uh, AI experts. So I guess a chunk of that, the money that you're investing, will be on hiring uh, AI specialists, or do you have them within the with Bitpanda, within Bitpanda already? Or? Yeah, it's mixed, I would say. So definitely we'll get some talent from the outside, but also inside we have a lot of great talent. And I mean, when you look at the latest innovations and, and the technology which are, is coming up, we as a financial uh, or, or, or fintech, basically, we are not a um, science institute, so we don't need to invent another uh, model or we don't need to invent the next technology to make it much, much faster. Um, for, for us, it's a piece of technology uh, which is coming becoming more and more accessible for the everyday software engineer in the end. And like Alexandra also said, it's, it's, in the end, it's about the data you have uh, and the data and how you can funnel it to the model and which results you get back. Uh, so okay. it's a, more of a job for data engineering, data science, but also for 
DevOps, for example, uh, to bring the services to a production-grade environment. Okay, that's fantastic. So bringing Alexandra back, back um, again, in terms of jobs, um, where it lends itself uh, best to, I guess, uh, generative AI, I guess in the short term, this is kind of maybe unsexy kind of uh, back office or know, back office, like code development or, or developing next generation of chatbots. And we're not going to see um, generative AI used in kind of consumer facing products for the time being anyway. Yeah, no, I, I I doubt that that, I think that's going to take a while. I, there's a lot of, um, as you say, it's, it's some of it is, is back off office efficiency gains. It is, it is making, um, you know, your, as I said before, as an example, financial and financial advisors more, you know, productive because the information that would take maybe a few days to gather can be gathered in 30 minutes. Um, and so, you know, it's an augmentation. You know, a lot of people are talking about jobs um, in terms of what this might mean in, in impacting jobs. I think the way to look at it is really how it will impact tasks. And my view certainly is that it's much more of an augmented or augmenting tool rather than a replacement of jobs. It's going to help everyone get more efficient. Um, and again, it's not going to lend itself to, there's a number of things that it can't do. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, as, as I said, it's not good on binary decision. It's really good at synthesizing data and, and uh, you know, and pulling information together, which is, you know, there's a large amount of what we do every day that that's really good for. But replacing jobs, I think um, it's, it's that's, that's not really, I mean, especially in the financial services area, um, in the near term, I, I don't see that happening at all. Um, but, you know, it, as as um, they become more seamless and once you start to be using them for better, you know, chatbot functions and they can respond to free text rather than pre-composed uh, prompts, it is it is going to maybe free up some resources um, that are being currently used to do that. And and so so there might be, areas where you're going to need to hire um, fewer people going forward. But right now, it's really interesting to see where the, you know, where the hires are coming in and, and sort of buying in these tools. We're not looking at hires of large language model skill sets because that, that tool is provided. What we're going to be seeing is the ability and the talent internally either being retrained to be prompt engineers and being able to sort of seamlessly implement the generative AI tools in this in the in the bank system or we might see some increased hiring of you know prompt engineer type people or 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 do the machine learning engineers you know you need to have some understanding of how the generative AI tools are working um, in order to really sort of get the most out of them and I think that's sort of that's what what we're going to be seeing sort of in terms of general direction of of sort of hiring trends going forward but as as um, as you mentioned we, we just uh, released a big talent report on on Wednesday looking at what what banks are hiring for and and looking at some some are shedding um, uh, employees but not when it comes to to AI we're seeing a sort of a doubling down by by the leading banks um, in the sort of hiring AI talent, um, so that's really interesting to see that that is not stopping. And in 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 you know, there there is sort of more of a more on talent uh, hotting up, I would say, than cooling down. Okay, that's fantastic. And I guess I mean you, you kind of alluded to that. And it'd be good to bring Christian in, in again. I mean, there is kind of if you read the media in, in headlines, there is all this uh, headlines about AI kind of spelling the. Um, 
the, the death knell of you know of leading to, to big job cuts. Is there any? Do you detect within Bitpanda? Is there any feeling or any mood music that people are, are concerned about the jobs that AI might may kind of um, eradicate their jobs, or are people only seeing the the upside of it? Um, I would say people see the upside on that, and and uh, just want to quickly uh, add on the previous um, uh, question. So. What we did uh, internally at Bitbundle when all this AI and LLM thing came out, this hype came out, the first thing we did is um, immediately issue a security policy where we said um, to people, to our employees, feel free to use it, but be very careful uh, on which data you paste into your prompt, basically, because you don't want to build all these security defenses around your system. And then you have some internal employees to leak some information. And that's also why uh, other companies and banks are afraid and maybe even uh, uh, lock down the usage of that. Uh, we just, uh, um, yeah, we just uh, issued the security policy, but at the same time, we also spin up our own languages models uh, internally, basically, where we can add more trust-worthy uh, information. Uh, and at the same time, what we also did, and this is becoming going back to prompt engineering, I think everybody needs to be a prompt engineer in the future. Uh, because at this stage right now, uh, you cannot... Sorry everyone, really trust. Sorry, sorry, everyone needs to be a... Everybody needs to be a prompt engineer. Oh, all right. Okay, sorry, I'm gone. <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, because, I mean, right now you can use ChatGPT, for example, to really leverage your work and get more productive and get uh, your results faster. But at the same time, you have this unreliability in the system and you have a hallucination. So... I think you can only get really good results when you, when are you, when you are already a subject matter expert in your field and you just want to get more effective because at the same time you need to be very skeptical about the responses you get from the systems and there are always cases where you need to ask uh, uh, the question a second time or be more specific about the prompt basically to get some good results but when you don't know your your area then you cannot uh, understand that this is maybe wrong what you get from uh, from ChatGPT as a result, for example. Uh, so in my opinion, everybody needs to write good prompts and needs to be skeptical. So it will not be the case um, that we immediately see some teams or departments to go away just because now we have ChatGPT, which also can give us some results. There still needs to be a hum human who verifies this. And I think in internally in our company, um, we really said to every employee, start to use uh, LLM start to use AI, um, be responsible about it, but really take the first step to use it because at the same time, then you also see firsthand, firsthand the limitations of the systems. And I think that's the important part here. But I, I guess further down the line, areas like you must have content creation areas in Bitpanda. That, that, that would seem an obvious way where you could save money on, on um on unemployment, where, 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 where they can, you know, do the job that the humans are doing now. And I guess someone like me as a journalist should be perhaps worried about um, uh, generative AI too. Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, you can say yes, you can, you want to be uh, become more efficient and then you reduce people in the team. Uh, or the other way to look at this is, ah, okay, now I'm more effective, so I can do actually more thing with the uh, same amount of people I have in the team. And I mean, we as a scale-up, of course, we want to achieve much more than to stay on the position where we are right now. Okay. So, Alexander, going back, one of your earlier points was saying it's not really a, a, a plug-and-play kind of thing. So, it is going to, generative AI is going to take time to bed in 
And in terms of productivity, I mean, if you look back in history, if you look at things like the personal computer and the internet, I'm pretty sure that that's, you know, companies, it took years to reap the benefits of those changes in technology. So likewise, with generative AI, uh, for for companies to kind of reap the the benefits in terms of revenues and profits is going to take years and years, is it? I, the, the, it's the sort of the productivity conundrum. It is um, there's a lot of expectation of productivity growth when you introduce new technologies, and certainly it, you're absolutely right. It is. Um, it took a while when, when the internet was, um, you know, in in the early days, it, it took what I mean, it took a handful of years before we. But then we did see a productivity um, uptick, but then we saw that um, decline again, and there's sort of various theories about why that happened, as in. Actually, the internet made us more productive on the one hand and also less productive on the other because it was so distracting is one of the studies that have just come out to to say. And so I, I, it's a good question around generative AI. I mean, there is there is um, like high likelihood um, that it will, you know, uh, make our uh, us a lot more productive because it really enhances our ability to do things faster. But then the question is, what are we going to do with that extra time? If we double down and, and you know, we commit that time to the task and uh, and that will add to our productivity or, or do we, you know, how do we spend that extra time? Sort of that's basically what it comes down to. But but um, there has been a bit of a, you know, mystery about where, you know, why productivity has not been higher. I mean, there is usually a connection between use of new technologies and increases in productivity, but that has not been linear. And it's, uh, you know, that, as I said, there are lots of studies showing sort of where it's also eating our, our, our focus and, and taking away from our, our work and making us less productive because we're more scattered. Um, I think we can all sort of nod to that to some extent, but um, but I do expect that we're going to see an, an, a productivity bounce from this. It's interesting. Goldman Sachs had a had a had a, a long report around how this would impact jobs some weeks ago, and looking at that how it impacts tasks and not jobs themselves. And I think that's really where the core of the productivity question lies. You know, where are we going to be using it? What tasks are we going to be using it for? And and in the best case scenario, be using to enhance what we're doing and just making us much faster um, at what we're doing. And I think it's absolutely right what Christian is saying about everyone becoming a prompt engineer. We will all need to understand how to, you know, take this tool and and guide it so it gives us um, it gives us this, you know, good, reliable um, instant information that we need to do our jobs better. And we all need to get familiar with with how we do that and how we set the prompt so the tool really works in our favor. Okay, Christian, what do you make what, what do you make on the, the productivity bounds question? And and secondly, does generative AI lend itself better to, to crypto than kind of more broadly fintech or, or other industries or not? About the productivity, a uh, very tough question because I think that depends on the person. So when you are somebody who easily gets distracted by uh, many things, then you can also be on TikTok for like two hours um, and waste some time there, I would say. Um, I can just only talk, for example, about our engineers. Um, when you're a focused engineer and you want to get the job done and then you use GitHub Copilot, for example, or some other code completion tools, um, out of a sudden you can really spend more time thinking about the task and at the same time you maybe even um, have better and more high, higher quality results basically because you immediately can write unit tests um, without spending too much time 
and um, yeah, you can you, you basically have the co whole code base uh, from GitHub or or the internet um, next to you as a peer programming partner, basically. And sorry, what was the second question? Uh, if it lends itself, does it's a broad question? Does generative AI lend itself better to the crypto industry than other? industries of finance or, or not, or does it not make a difference, do you think? I would say it doesn't make a difference, no. I mean, you, we just need to be creative um, how to use it, and you can use it in a lot of fields, I think. That's especially the, the thing now with LLMs, or you don't need to have this one specific, very specific tailored task for machine learning where you need to uh, train your own model, uh, and you need to invest a lot of time and money, but now you can... Uh, use an LLM and uh, it can be much more open in the use cases. Okay, that's fantastic. Last couple of questions. So it's obviously well documented about Elon Musk and others, high profile uh, tech luminaries wanting the training of powerful AI systems to be suspended amidst, amidst kind of fears of, of threats to humanity. Do you think, I mean, Alexander, was that, was that a good yeah. call or was that... It was. No, no, I was just going to say no. Um, as in, well, there have been two letters. The first one was Elon Musk um, put a letter out with which had lots of uh, people signing it, and it was calling for a pause in the research of large language models. Um, and I, I understand, you know, and then there's a second letter being signed by the, the sort of godfathers of AI plus, you know, other experts. Um, sounding the alarm bell on on AI and its long term risks, and call for regulation. Now, I think there's absolutely no doubt that there needs to be, you know, sensible regulation uh, around AI um, that looks at safety for humankind, of course. And um, but there, I think there are two questions in the letter, and there's sort of two debates going on. One is short term issues around AI, which are already here and we know them. There's a sort of issue around disinformation campaigns that, of course, can be made uh, faster and worse by large language models and and the multi, uh, you know, model of that, that it's sort of like we can you know, now do deep fakes and so on. And that's an immediate issue um, that needs to be addressed, of course. Then there's a long-term question around AI and, and when we will have AGI, which is when artificial intelligence becomes sort of superhuman on all levels and and when that happens is there a risk that it can undermine humanity as we know it today and on that question i think that it is a very um it's a it's a it's a big leap from going from large language models as they are today to agi and before we get there uh, a lot of innovations need to have happened and AI will need to have motivation and consciousness and be able to hook into the physical infrastructure. And there's a there's a long, long way until that happens. And also, um, while that is being developed, if it gets developed, we will surely be able to put you know guardrails and controls in it because we're talking five, 10, 20 years down the line before I think we'll have anything that's sentient and um, and all of that. So I think that the, the letters raise good questions, but I think it is also important to to really keep apart what's, what are the short-term issues and what are the long-term risks. Christian, do you have a view? Yes, actually, I'm pro very pragmatic about that thing. So yes, short-term, of course, and long-term, also other, other risks. Uh, but at the same time, 
when bad actors get new technology to use it, uh, that also means at the same time we can use the technology to increase our defense mechanism. So I think uh, spam filters get better over time. So uh, we also will see uh, improved detection of fake news or, or some automatically generated texts um, short term on the internet. Um, and it's just a race, basically, or there's always the good and the bad actors. And uh, so, um, there's always uh, someone in front and someone behind. Okay, uh, that's really fascinating, and I learned a lot that I didn't know already, uh, which is good for me. But I mean, just just finally, I mean, I guess the initial question was how how is generative AI going to revo- revolutionize the fintech and the, the crypto industry? And I guess you're both saying yes, but there's a lot of caveats, a lot of kind of challenges. Is is that fair? Can, can you just finally just answer that question start with you christian how, how revolutionary is generative ai going to be for for your industry uh, definitely yes uh, and i think it more comes down basically to bring uh, yeah financial markets financial knowledge uh, and also access to these financial markets to everybody in their own language basically okay and and uh, alexandra i think it's going to be an absolute game changer of but I think it's just going to be, it's going to take longer than we think. I think it is, um, it is um, probably two, three years out. But um, it's absolutely going to be create a fundamental change um, to the sector, but sort of also generally speaking. Right. So I mean, it's similar to the advance, the, the, the kind of the advancement of the, the personal computer or the the. Um the um, electric engine or anything like not as big as that, not as revolutionary. No, as that. I don't think so. I think that's a bit overstated. I, th- I think it's going to just, you know, um, a bit like email. I mean, it is one of those, you know, it's going to be, imp- you know, it's going to be everywhere and it's going to be how, you know, it's going to change the way we, we work probably, but, um, but not, you know, not, not, not like, uh, not like the uh, combust engine, not like uh, the internet. I, I don't believe it's going to have that kind of an impact, but it's definitely going to have, um, you know, it's definitely going to have a big impact on 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 work um, and the creative and the creative sectors as well. Absolutely. Okay, um, Alexandra and Christian, thank you very much. That was very eloquent and very informative. And um, thank you very much. And that's been the Tech EU um, uh, FinTech podcast. And that's all the time we've got for this edition of Tech EU's What Do You Know About FinTech? If you've liked the show or not. Go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brother, hell, tell your dog if you like. We'll see you next time.